0: Hi, I'm David Goforth, pastor of Grace Baptist Church. So glad that you're taking the time to listen to this podcast. And I want to let you know we're here to help you. If you have any questions, please visit our website, gbcwc.org. And contact us. We'd love to help. Amen. Let's take our Bibles and open them up to First Thessalonians 5. First Thessalonians 5, we are studying things here on Wednesday evening. Uh, the title of the series, I know that doesn't matter a lot to... You, as you're taking notes and looking, but we're, we're talking about thinking biblically. And we, we looked at thinking biblically about suffering and understanding how to approach what it is that uh, God brings to us that are not necessarily what we want. Now, I have tried to think of a way to uh, title this next one, because this next one is a pretty broad topic. We're going to take a couple of weeks to unpack it. Um, if you were to search for something on the internet, you would go to what site usually? Google, unless you have something, you know, Google, if you're tired of being tracked by Big Brother, there's numerous other Little Brother tracking sites that have their search engines that you can go to, right? And go there and search on that. But it's interesting, if you go, I don't know if you've ever uh, seen it, but if you if you uh, search for something, it'll tell you how many results that it pulls up in how many seconds. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It'll say... One, you know, one page of this many pages of results. Well, it's interesting. There's a common question that has been in the heart of man uh, for the longest time that that Christianity truly does answer. But people try to answer it in different ways. And it seems like now the buzzword, because if you search for this... Um, if you search for something with balance in life in it, how do you find balance in life? What is balance in life? You're going to get billions of responses. I just did a couple of quick ones, uh, a couple of different quick searches. One was 8 billion something million. Another one was 9 billion responses to balance in life. Now, nowadays, that's kind of the buzzword. Uh, for what we're talking about, balance in life. And if you, if you just really quickly, cursory, look at the different uh, articles, what it's saying is, listen, uh, you have to learn how to take care of your life so it doesn't get out of balance. Why are they saying this? Well, because people are, are living their lives and they're saying this, I'm, I'm, I'm not fulfilled. Uh, before Google came about, in fact, it was almost a, a meme, before memes were memes, uh, was people asking, you know, what is the meaning of life? And, uh, you know, they would ask that in movies and people would make jokes about it and would come in, you know, what, what is the purpose of life? That is something that's very, very hard for a person who believes wholeheartedly in the idea that we are just genetically formed because of an erratic process that brought us to this point. Well, if we are thinking sentient beings, if we are able to, to think about who we are, what is the purpose of what, what's different about my life than uh, the, the stuff that's living in a puddle or the stuff that's living in, in this organism, and it's all the same, and they come up with all these different things. Now, you look at Christianity, and you say, well, Christianity was not there to give us the meaning of life. No, no, no. Christianity was there for a specific, specific purpose, but the interesting thing is that when Romans 12 tells us not to be conformed, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, it's telling us, listen, don't allow this thinking of the world to weasel its way into your thinking. And what we're doing this whole series about, thinking biblically, is trying to understand where this worldly thinking has weaseled its way in, because it weasels its way in in a lot of different ways. And so I, I just out of curiosity, I thought, okay. This is, this is what balance of life is, 9 billion responses. I wonder how many responses would be if I googled sermon balance of life. Well, I don't know, this will be interesting. And uh, somebody's trying to call me right now, and I look down, and it just made me forget what the—it was in the millions, but I forget how many millions. But it was amazing how—now, if you were to go, if I were to tell you, all right, t- tell me a passage—we were just talking about creation—tell me a passage that talks about creation— can anybody think of a passage in the Bible that, that talks about creation? Okay. Does anybody know a passage in the Bible that maybe talks about marriage? There's another thing. Does anybody know? Maybe another one in Genesis 3 or Matthew 19. Does anybody know any, any passage that talks about kids? Maybe Ephesians 6, Deuteronomy 20, or Exodus 20, some different things. Okay, some of you went right to Proverbs, cast their light into outer darkness. <laughs> okay, but but we think of different passages. Okay, what's the great passage on, on balance in life? Well, we can throw out some different things. Well, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. Maybe some of you thought, oh, oh uh, what we talked about last Sunday. Um, uh, Making sure that you put the kingdom of God first and all these things will be added to you. There's, there's balance in life. But this idea of balance in life, what, it, what it's doing is it's, it is trying to address a problem where people are saying, hey, I'm not happy in my life. Now here's the thing is that when we're trying to address this issue, when we're, when we're, when we're struggling with this, what, what are we actually dealing with? We're dealing with a problem, a number of different problems, and I'm not going to go psychoanalyst on you. I'm not going to try to do any of that kind of stuff. I'm just talking about the, the basic idea of why we live our life. And here's something that, that often happens that we don't think about, and I'm going to try to unpack this slowly. But there are different responses to God. We believe as christians that this is god's word to us amen all right for amen if those of you on live stream that can't hear it we had numerous people said amen just then this is god's word to us in fact we believe this to be so important that we judge everything else by this if it's true if it's truth there's going to be standing for it in the bible And some of you say, wait a minute, so if there's an algebra uh, equation that's true, you're going to find the algebra equation in the Bible? No, but you're going to find the principle that guides that. And if it's true, it's going to agree with God's Word. And we believe that things that are outside of God's Word cannot be true. But that is something that is changing in America, is it not? There are people that now say, listen, God's Word says it, but that doesn't mean... And they've been saying that for thousands of years, by the way. It's not just now. But there are things that Christianity used to stand up and say, okay, here's what this means. And now people are coming up and they're, they're, they're throwing things out that, that are not biblical. Um, simple example, all of the, what, what we now call an affirming church. How many of you are familiar with that phrase, an affirming church? What that means is that it's a church that doesn't follow the old fashioned guidelines of men being in their biblical roles women being in their biblical roles that you can have homosexuality you can have transgender transgenderism we affirm those things it's an affirming church Um, you have you have this idea that because you are a certain race you need to repent of the sins and the problems of your race now that's a biblical word repent right but is it actually biblical for you to repent for the sins of a race what are, what are you supposed to repent of? Your sins. Can I repent for your sins? No. I can only repent. Of, and and, and to, to take this and say, hey, you need to repent of the, the this and that. We're taking it and we're spinning it. And we're pulling it out of God's word. And believe it or not, there are people who actually have a worldly philosophy that they bring into what we call Christianity. And they say, OK, I'm going and we, we do it in other ways. OK, there are churches who open up God's word and read God's word and sing about Jesus and sing about Joseph and the, and the baby and sing about Christmas uh, things and Easter themes and all the rest of that. But they will stand up and they will basically preach a social type of gospel or they will type they will preach a, a works type of gospel. Where they will say, hey, these kind of things, this will matter here and here and here. And that is not a biblical philosophy. That is a worldly idea that made its way into the Bible. You say, well, Pastor Gopher, that, that hasn't happened to us. That wouldn't happen to us, would it? Well, we're going to look at a couple of different things. Because there are some people who were who out of balance. But we're not, we're not preaching about how to be balanced in your life. That's not what this is. But this, the title of this message is Thinking Biblically, Life, Finding Balance. Because that's the buzzword right now is finding, you're there in 1 Thessalonians 5. Let's read 1 Thessalonians 5 and and then unpack kind of what's happening here and see if you can see what's going on here. Um, Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, verse uh, 1 of chapter 5, Of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. They were worried about God having already started his eternal plan and they missed out on the rapture. And only their loved ones were, able, were going to be able to go to heaven, and they weren't going to be able to go to heaven because things had already happened. He says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. So when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, and surveil upon a woman with child, they shall not escape. But ye brethren are not in darkness, that they that the day should overtake you as a thief. Paul is saying, Listen, there are people that are worried about this, but the people that are worried, they're not like you. You have the truth. And then he challenges them with something. He says, "'You are children of light and the children of the day. "'We are not of the night nor of the darkness. "'Therefore let us not sleep as do others, "'but let us watch and be sober. "'For they that sleep, sleep in the night, "'and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. "'But let us, who are of the day, watch, "'be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, "'and for an helmet the hope of salvation.'" And here's, here's what was happening with the Thessalonian church. The Thessalonian church was allowing the thinking, per, the, the thinking of their culture to come in and work its way into their theology where they were thinking, oh no, now these were people that had trusted Christ, but they had gotten worked into a tizzy because they, they, they didn't have, they, they didn't live by the right perspective. They weren't living by the right purpose. And they were looking at a certain thing. And they started looking here and they started looking here. And they thought, oh no, we've missed the day of the Lord. Now, maybe you've never felt what that felt like, but I can remember as a little kid, okay? I was born in 71, grew up in the 70s and 80s, and some of you may remember some of the old school evangelistic films. Do you remember those? The Burning Hell, okay, Thief in the Night, okay, different things about the rapture. I can remember one film in particular. There was a phone Um, And since most of us will know this, some of you may not realize this, but in, in each house there used to be phones like attached to the wall and things. And if you left those phones off the hook, after a while, it would make this horrible noise. The closest thing to it is the iPhone alarm noise. And it would just, but it was faster, it was like, and I can remember this scene where there's this phone next to a recliner and it's going, and the camera pans back and it's like... Oh, the television's on. Somebody was on the phone. Something's on the stove and was cooking. And the idea was what? The rapture came and you were too late. And not only did they paint the picture, they wrote a nice 70s-themed song. Right? And you're too late. <laughs> and it was like, mm, you're dying and going to hell no. And it was just, it scared me. And there, there were times as a little kid, I would wake up and I'd come upstairs and go, Mom! mom mom i'd run to mom's room and mom wasn't there and i'd run to my sister's room and sisters weren't there and i'd run outside and look in the driveway and the car was still there and my family was gone and i would get super fearful and i would think oh no i've missed the rapture and i didn't miss the rapture they just were in a different room of the house and i was six years old and dumb and didn't see them. And that's what, on a greater scale, that's what happened to the Thessalonians. But here's, here's what had happened to the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians had let, they, they were living based on certain principles, okay, this is, the, and they were focused on something that they should not have been focused on. They were focused on the wrong thing. Now that, that was somebody, Paul says, you were in the day. And so he tells them, live in the day. Here's how people live in the day. What do they do? They put on the breastplate of faith and love and they put on the helmet of salvation. He says, listen, here's what you need to kind of keep this right focus. But there were other people who were also religious, but they were not believers. But they had taken and they had made religion a response to God. Now here's the thing. I I forget who the writer is, but I, I I read this recently. There's a writer who said there's more than just, some people think you respond to God by saying yes or no. But you can also go to God and say, okay, my way. And here's a group that do it. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 23. We're going to look at Matthew 23. Now in Matthew 23, this is, uh, this is one of the passages that talks about the woes of the Pharisee. A woe is a very, very dark pronounced judgment. We're not talking about W-O-A-H, where you're trying to stop a horse. We're talking about W-O-E. This is a pronouncement of this is bad. Woe to you. Okay, we don't use that kind of verbiage anymore. But Jesus Christ here in Matthew 23 goes through many things. Look at verse 13. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. You neither go in yourselves, neither suffer you any that are entering to go in. He says, listen, you Pharisees who are, who are trying to be this religious group of people, you're actually barring the door of heaven. You're keeping other people from going. You're not going, but it's not just that you're not going, you're keeping other people from going. That's why this curse, woe to you. Look at the next verse. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows, houses, and for a pretense make long prayer, therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. It says, you... you Pharisees you are taking things from the poor you are praying in front of people for them to make them think that you're nice and religious he says that, he's pronouncing he's, he's saying whoa this this is this is a terrible way of thinking now those two things I think all of us would sit here and we would say well yeah well we're not we're not doing that we're not we're not like those Pharisees and and I've said before that I often identify as a recovering Pharisee You know, and if this was Pharisees unanimous or anonymous, how do you say that? Probably unanimous and anonymous. Say, hi, my name is David, I'm a Pharisee. Because there there are things, you say, you devour widows' houses, you bar up heaven. No, no, not necessarily. But I want you to look down at verse 23. And this is where many religious people fall in. Look at verse 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint, and anise and cumin. Okay, let's stop for a second. What Jesus Christ is saying is he is saying, you are so careful to pay your tithes. You are convinced. Where would they have gotten the idea to pay tithes? Okay, that was very specific. I would have been happy with Old Testament. But he said Malachi, for those of you that couldn't hear him. Okay? Malachi says, will will you rob God? All right could have gotten it from the Old Testament commands of Moses to pay tithes in the Pentateuch. Deuteronomy, pay tithes for this and this. Well, why, have any of you ever walked by your kitchen and said, you know what, I need to grab 10% of my pepper and bring it in and put it in the offering plate? I hope no. Why did they do it back then? Because that was an actual way of buying and trading and spice Back there, spice was so important, there were spice routes. There was a time on the, on the earth that salt was worth more than gold. There was a time that myrrh was worth more than anything else. I mean, it, it, was, it was such, spices were such a valuable commodity. But they also were used as spice. That's hard for us to imagine. Because, but even here, if it's rich stuff, don't they even put gold foil in like rich food? I mean, I've seen it on cooking shows. A little gold. I have never thought to myself, I would love to taste gold. That's just put in there to go, hey, but they would actually use it. And he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, because you pay tithe with your spices. But he doesn't just say, woe to you, because you pay tithe with your spices. If he just said that, that would have been confusing. Because they were supposed to pay tithe of their spices. So look, he says, you, you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Judgment, mercy, and faith; these ought ye to have done, and not leave the other undone. Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. See, this was a woe that tells us why the why the Pharisees had changed the truth of God into a lie. Now, it's not just that they were unbalanced in their tithing and their mercy. It's that they did not understand what God was teaching in his word because we do not do things to impress God. We do not do things to draw close to God. But when I read this and and, and so often went through it, I always felt bad for the Pharisee until God showed me something. And I'll tell you next week. No, we've got time. I'm just kidding. Okay, my my spiritual gift. Lord has made me a prophet. He's made me a teacher. According to prophet teachers, I know you know this because we went through this in church, what is the most important thing to prophet teachers? Truth. Right. Okay? So, as a Christian, as a person who's been saved... Am I to live my life with truth as my focus? Trick question. Okay. There have been times when I have been mean to my wife because my wife would not see and accept truth. Now, you know my wife. Is she a heretic? She's not. So it's obvious that I'm not saying that I was staying up here and I'm saying, hey, Dave, do you know that that we are redeemed by the blood of Christ? And she said, oh, no, 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 no. It's because of sacrificing, you know, a chicken under a full moon. It's nothing like that. It's when I say, hey, this is something, and she says, well, I have a different opinion. And I'm so locked in because I'm convinced that this is the truth that I mean to my wife. I know you guys don't ever do this. You don't ever argue with your spouse, right? Never happens. Okay? Let me ask you a question. Is it right for me to value truth? Is it right for me to be mean to my wife? So then, why is that a conflict? See, a light turned on one time when reading this. These ought you to have done and not leave the other undone. Yes, value truth. But who is David Goforth supposed to live for? to live for Christ and if I'm living for Christ am I going to value truth okay this is not a trick question if I'm living for Christ am I going to be nice to my wife now may I, some, may I perhaps need to say something that might be perceived as unkind by somebody if I'm living for Christ speaking the truth it might be perceived by somebody but boy I'm, I'm, it, it's not going to be done in a mean way and see, believe it or not, if I lock into truth and I say, hey, I'm going to live my life for truth and I'm going to step on you, and I'm, I've done this, and they'll tell you, if she doesn't say amen, good for her. I have stepped on people's toes, I have shut people down, I have, this, I have just basically made them, okay, you can say words, but I'm, not, I'm just waiting for you to stop talking because then you're going to come back because you need truth. And that is not. That, that turns truth into an idol. And I'm no longer worshiping Jesus Christ. I'm worshiping truth. And what's sad is, is that I think that David Goforth's truth is the truth. Because I figured it out. Let me ask you a not-a-trick question. Can David Goforth be wrong? Say that out loud. Yes. Yes. Can David Goforth be wrong and not know it? Yeah, I can. Now, here's the amazing thing is that I get locked into there. God says, listen, you are going to to miss it if you do this and don't do this. Now, here's the thing is that I've I've often seen so many things happen, not because people weren't doing what they were supposed to do, but because they weren't following God's plan for life. That verse, you strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Is it bad to strain at a gnat? I would personally, if I went somewhere, I would like to know that it was gnat-free if I was going to be eating something, wouldn't you? But I certainly wouldn't want to swallow a camel. Now what is this? What do we call this in English? This is hyperbole, right? Are you with me still? Hyperbole, okay? God is not actually saying that the Pharisees were swallowing camels. He's saying you're careful about this tiny little thing, and you've left this way out. And I've seen people that were locked in like me to truth that we left out love and mercy and grace and goodness. What's the effects of that? Look at verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you make clean the outside of the cup of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Ooh. Do you know what that's saying? I clean up the outside so you think well of me. You say, well, pastor, nobody does that. Really? Those of you that are single, forgive me for keeping using marriage illustrations. But I think even the single ones would get this one. Do most husbands and wives speak to each other in public the same way they speak to each other in private? There are some that do, and we all have one in our family, right? But most of the time, in public, we get the look. Well, I I don't think my wife and I are going to be able to. I'll have to talk to her. Why? Because I want the outside of the cup to be clean. I want you guys to look at me and go he's a nice husband. And I clean the outside of the cup. I clean the outside of the cup in other ways. Hey Pastor Goforth, how are you doing? Great! How are you? I just lied to you. I'm not doing great. I'm actually struggling on the inside. I'm battling with this sin. I'm battling with this. Actually I'm battling with just the idea of talking to you. How are you doing? We don't think like that, do we? Clean the outside. Clean the outside. Do you know there have been times I have spent more on my appearance than I have on my heart? Getting ready for church. I hate to say it, there are times I spent more time picking out a tie than I did standing before my Savior. Because I thought if I showed up with a tie that looked bad, that it would be distracting. But I didn't think twice about, hey, I don't have time to really pray. I've got to get down here and figure out truth. And we clean the outside. Let's keep going. This is exciting, isn't it? 803. Look at 27. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Ye are like to whited sepulcher. What's a sepulcher? It's a tomb. Which indeed appear beautiful outward, but within are full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous, and say, If we'd been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. You're just like your parents. Because here is, and this is where we'll end and then we'll come into it and we'll unpack this some more. I'm gonna walk slowly through this, okay? This is an introductory to an understanding, okay? There are people who respond to God by saying, hit the road, buzz off. But there are a large number of people that say, okay, God, I believe what you're telling me. I'm going to get to work. Do you know what we call that? It starts with an R. Ends with religion. Anybody ever heard anybody know what I'm talking about? What is it? That's religion. And when we're in religion, we get stuck on things like dress, Versions, music, service days. We get stuck on religious stuff. We strain at gnats. Now, I'm not saying that none of those things are, 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 are useless, to, but they're not the main thing. And there are some folks who will die and will leave a church over a gnat, but will swallow a camel. Thank you, Brother folks. I'm raising my hand because that's me. Because I would look at some stuff and go, you have got, I, can, I am done with them because it's my particular idol that they have stepped on, that they have not honored. And if you will not bow down to my idol, well, then you can be excused from my life. I almost said kiss my grits, but I don't think we're allowed to say that. Okay. And it's, and it's a wholly unbiblical approach to life. And the thing is, is that when I see how often this type of thinking has made its way into my theology, where instead of doing what I'm supposed to do, I'm worshiping myself in a very creative, independent Baptist religious way. Oh, it looks good. And you know what? I can even make it look good to you. That's not, that's not our job. Our job is to do something wholly different. What is our job? Go back to First Thessalonians 5. We'll be done. Look at verse 8, 1 Thessalonians 5. But let us who are of the day. Let us who are of the day. Who are the people that are of the day? Who's he talking about? Talking about Christians. People who actually have the light. Those of us who are in the light. Those of us who are in the day. Another way of understanding this is some belong to darkness, some belong to light. It's actually talking about who owns us, whose we are says, okay, so, so you that belong in the day, those of you who are of the day, be sober. What does it mean to be sober? Some people think that means, uh, you know, to be serious. But the idea, the idea carries along with it this idea of, of being alert, of being at watch and at, at understanding, okay. It's just realizing, okay, we're, we're, you belong to the day, Get this. Be sober. Be alert. Be serious. Be temperate. Balanced. Be sober doing what? Putting on the breastplate of faith and love. And for a an helmet, the hope of salvation. Basically saying, listen, what you need, and you've heard these buzzwords before, but we're going to unpack them in the next couple of weeks. Can't do it tonight. We need to have a living faith. A living faith is not a faith that is based on definitions of things that dead people have given us. A living faith is based on a living what? A living Savior. A living Lord. Okay? We need to have a living faith. We need to have a living love. Living love. And then the last, a living hope. But the key is, living is something that is alive. It is something that is pervasive. It is something that directs us. It is not this idea of, okay, well, we need to be this. And we need to be this. And we need to do this. Now, I know some of you may be saying, oh, Pastor, go forth. I'm a little confused at this point. It it is close to the time that we need to end. But what we're going to talk about, basically, in a nutshell, is we're going to talk about what you've heard the terms Christ-centered life. But even the term Christ-centered life has been redefined by some different people. There's a, a newer buzzword, if you're reading, if you're in theological circles, that's been much more popular in the past 20 years, and they've made gospel-centered life. And now there are even people who aren't gospel or Christ-centered that are using the buzzword gospel-centered. But the idea is a life that is focused on a living Savior, a living love for Him, a living hope. And that hope is not, boy, I hope. The hope is the sure thing that is going to happen. And it's living and it is, it is working. Not us working. Pharisees is us working. So much of my Christian life has been spent by me doing what I think God wanted me to do. Instead of God doing what he wanted through me. Simple, but difficult sometimes to lock into. And so when we're talking about life and thinking about life, listen, um, there are folks that have said, hey, pastor, you, know, you haven't really told us uh, what your standards are for this and what your standards are for this and what your standards are for this. You know, t- t- tell us what's right about here. Tell us what's right about this and tell us what's right about, what, what should be right about that. And I stood in this very pulpit and I preached on certain standards and said, hey, this is what you should do. But I preached it from a perspective of straining at a gnat and swallowing the camel what was the camel david Goforth's truth and so we've got to pull back and look at and say okay what is this living faith what is this living hope what is this going to do and, and and what okay what this is going to do okay is this is going to change the way that you live the christian life And it's going to change the way that you interact with others. It's going to change the way that you interact with Scripture. There was a time when I read my Bible because that's what a Christian is supposed to do. So my motivation was, okay, this is expected. You know what? I never once have hugged my children because it was expected of me. I hugged them because I love them. And sometimes I, I hug them longer. Because I've been away from them for a while. And I enjoy the hug. And I get tearful thinking about the hug. Because I love them. I wish I could say this. With day, there are sometimes as a husband, I have done stuff as a husband because it's expected of a husband. And it has a completely different outcome than when I do things for day because it's out of a heart of love. There are things that a husband should do, right? Right? But if a husband lives his life, this is what a husband does, and he does not do it out of love, that's not much of a marriage. Christianity is not Christianity of things that we do because they're right. Christianity is a love for Christ that works itself out in what happens. Some of you are with me. Some of your eyes are crossed. Some of you have already looked at the clock and said, two minutes past, preacher. going to dock you. So let's stand, we'll pray, and we'll go. If you have any questions, feel free to stop by my website. And then all questions will be answered there, all right? Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll go, Lord, thank you. Uh, Lord, I know, I know this wasn't brought to a nice uh, conclusion, there, and we're going to spend some time unpacking and looking at this. But, Lord, I ask that you would give us a hunger for this truth. Lord, perhaps even just what we talked about the last couple of seconds, about, about having that love. Lord, and having the love be the driving force. Lord, what would happen at Grace Baptist Church if love, was our dri- love for you was our driving force? not love for ourselves, or love for truth or love for tradition or love for form or love of prestige. Lord, what if the love of Christ constrained us? (laughs) Lord, help us to dream big and help us to love you. Thank you. We love you. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming. And I give you three extra minutes before you have to be in bed tonight so you're not going to be any later. Thank you. You're dismissed.